Welcome to You Want to Be a Leader, Really? A Defy Expectations podcast. I'm Vicky. And I'm Helen. And we're here to explore the highs and the lows of leadership today with our guests. And to help you navigate the complexity of being a leader from every aspect, from the sublime to the absolute ridiculous and everything in between. This week's guest is Gina Riley. Gina is a leadership expert who likes to disrupt. Gina, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have the conversation today. Great. Before we dive in, you can find out more information about Gina, her business, and all the great work she does in our downloads, all available alongside this podcast. Just visit www.defyexpectations.co.uk for all that good info. We believe leaders are made and not born. But what about, but what are the ways a person can really develop their skills if their company is not fully supporting them and doing that directly? Oh, this is such a good question. And when I think about that kind of a question, I first dial it back to, have you defined your target? Do you know where you want to go in your career? Do you have at least one stepping stone planned out or do you have multiple stepping stones planned out? So before you start willy-nilly developing skills, first figure out if those skills are going to help you get where you're actually trying to go. Narrowing in on what your target is, then we start trying to figure out what are those skills. Well, how do you find out which skills are going to be necessary for that job of the future? You need to, to talk with people. You need to do research. You need to take informational conversations with people who are doing that ideal job that you aspire to have, whether that's one or three leaps ahead, and, and then gather the data you need so you can create a skill gap analysis for yourself. That's something that you can take back to your manager and have conversations. Hey, this is where I'm heading. You know, what are ways that I can fill in these gaps with whether that's stretch assignments or specific, or maybe it's asking for mentorship that may not even come from your manager, may need to come from someone who's in a different functional area, for example. So that's kind of a starting point is first, you got to figure out, well, what, what skills are you going to develop in the first place? Finding out what those skills are, talking with people, and then, you know, you can also lean into the idea of, you know, leadership coaches, or other kinds of ways to get that information. And I especially like to tell people that they should be thinking about intentionally gaining mentorship from people. Gina, in your experience, we talk about looking at skills, do that skills gap analysis based on where you want to go. But if there was one skill, what is that most important skill you can learn as a leader or to become a leader? The one skill, I first, what I would love to say is it, it could be attributes. I also do some executive search for talents group, and we use the humble, hungry, smart model from Patrick Lencioni. When we're doing an executive search, what we're listening for are those attributes and traits and behaviors that underpin being humble, being hungry, and being smart. And I'll break it down. Humble, I think, is the most obvious that that's leading with humility and openness and 
and listening and having that spirit of inquiry and not being the smartest person in the room all the time. Hungry means, are you hungry for the job that you're doing? Do you show some kind of zest for your profession and what you're doing? And then smart means not IQ intelligence, but EQ. Do you have that emotional intelligence to connect with people? So if there's one skill, that's really hard for me to narrow it down. But when I think of those three tenets, if you will, humble, hungry, and smart, the underpinning is appreciative inquiry and listening. Can you ask questions that help engage people to answer their own questions and problem solve for themselves? You know, that's a, that's a very insightful answer you give and, and sort of following on from that. And you've already sort of brought us into this space of, of presence. And I want to talk a little bit about that and ask you what you believe are some of the elements of executive presence and what are those key aspects that actually impact on others and their perceptions of our competencies as a leader? The way you asked that was so smart because it's it's not so much how we feel about our executive presence, it's other people's perception of our executive presence. And so being aware of what those factors are is actually the first key and hurdle, I guess, to building awareness to where you can make adjustments. So that I rely on Sylvia Ann Hewlett's work. She wrote a book called Executive Presence, and it's about defining that difference between merit and success. And the three aspects are appearance, communication, and gravitas. Appearance is the first hurdle we have to get over, if you will, but it's the least important of all three aspects. And then there's 17 micro pieces of these three aspects. But appearance is that first thing where we're, we're making a judgment about people in 250 milliseconds. That's like about three seconds. So how we present ourselves makes a difference because all of us as humans make natural assumptions and have biases that we bring with us when we first see something. Some people get a little first put off with the idea of appearance being important, but it is. And, and what I would say is the most important aspect of appearance is being polished and groomed. It doesn't mean you have to be the most fashionable person and wear the most expensive clothing. It means that you're put together. So, you know, of all the things, that's the thing to really know is, are you showing up with a presence that people go, they know what they're doing, right? The second part of executive presence is communication. That's how we speak. And so the most important aspect of communication rated at like 60% importance, it's superior speaking skills. So are you able to clearly articulate your messages? Are you on point? you know, and, and are people connecting with you? And then the second most important is the ability to command the room. So even though you may not be domineering it, you have a presence in the room that showcases that you have leadership, if you will. My favorite aspect of communication though, to talk about is rated about 39% of importance. And that is the ability to read the room. This is so critical. And I've been in the position where I'm interviewing leaders and executives for CEO roles. And even when you get on Zoom and you have 
what I call, I don't know if you watched the Brady Bunch. I'm dating myself, but all those people on the screen, and you maybe you're speaking to a board of directors to, as you interview, you need to pay attention to people's body language and their cues. And, you know, are they leaning in? Are they sitting back? Are they looking around? And trying to make sure that you're engaging with people in different ways. So reading the room is so important. Then the third aspect of executive presence is something called gravitas, and that is how we act. And the most important aspect of gravitas is confidence and grace under fire. Can you, can you lean into difficult situations with composure, but without being showy or conceited? So it's kind of, again, it kind of goes back to that presence in the room. And then the second aspect I like to talk about with Gravitas, and there's many more, is it's called decisiveness or showing teeth. Are you as a leader able to take a stand when the opinion isn't the popular opinion? And can you make that decision? So those are just a few flavors. There's so many more. It's quite a skill to be a leader. We know that, which is why we talk about it being a learnt skill and not one you're born with because there's so many levels of complexity. One of the things you mentioned earlier, and this comes on to our next question, is you said people who are hungry, hungry for the job they are doing. Mm -hmm. So often we are told you've got to be ambitious. You've got to be looking up. Where do you want to go to demonstrate you can do that job that you want? What are the other ways, apart from showing hunger for the job that they're doing right now, that people can demonstrate their leadership skills and sort of become that obvious choice to consider when the next leadership opportunity comes up? Absolutely love that. And it kind of goes back to your first question is like, how do you, how do you gain the skills if you're not being supported? So here's a, here's a couple practical ways to, you know, this is a good list. One is consider rotating into different kinds of jobs that may be lateral moves, but give you cross-functional expertise. And so you get a broader view of an organization, thereby strengthening the way that you perceive what's happening within the organization. You can raise your hand and take on a job that maybe some of your peers don't want to take on, you know, or you're, you're going to do a stretch assignment and it's going to be difficult for you, but you're, you're willing to try that. I've known a lot of leaders who have progressed quickly through their career because they've raised their hand and jumped into the fire. And sometimes it didn't work out. They got burnt, but they got noticed for that trial and error, if you will. It, th there's a fearlessness that comes with, you know, doing things like that. But I've repeatedly talked to and interviewed all kinds of leaders that say, I took on assignments other people were not willing to take on. In fact, one leader said that he was referred to as they called him commando because they would throw him over the wall and they were not sure if he would come back, you know, alive. <laughs> so another thing that a person can do is maybe it's leaving the organization you're in now and trying a different kind of organization. Maybe it's a startup or a midsize if you're already in a larger organization, because it's going to give you different perspectives on how businesses, you know, are run. Then Education and training programs, maybe there's training, there's certifications that help you better do your job. You can attend conferences that are industry specific that help inform you of not only of how you do your job better, but you can meet people and network, which 
diversifies your footprint in your professional circles and potentially makes it easier for you to make a job change down the road if you need to leave your organization or if you get downsized. You can join a support group or a networking group. You can join something like a skill-based group like Toastmasters and learn how to amplify and increase your speaking skills. Um, you can do simple things like listening to podcasts like this one, or you can watch and comment on thought leaders that are on LinkedIn or read publications where people are showcasing the latest in technology or leadership. So those are just a few. You know, as, as you've been talking, I've kind of been writing my own notes and you've you've prompted so many thoughts here. But but one of the things here at Defy Expectations, we like to be a little bit defiant. And I mentioned earlier in our chat that I used to be told not to be defiant. And as a defiance against that, we love in Defy Expectations, finding these things that we can pay forward that makes it okay to be a bit edgy. But reflecting on your career, what might be some of the experiences that you would want to pay forward and share with others who are considering leadership? Yeah, the one thing that I've reflected on quite a bit in the last couple of months, it, there's actually two things. One is we cannot expect to be the world's best kept secret and that someone's going to tap us on the shoulder for the job that we really, really want. I was in that position one time in my mid-20s where I was working really hard I was blowing it out of the water with all the statistics and goals that I was supposed to be hitting, but I was working in a very high pressure, high talent peer group where other people were also blowing it out of the water. And this particular year, working that 10, 12 hour, hour day, I didn't get the promotion I thought that I should have had coming to me. And when I reflect back on that time frame, there's two things that I did wrong. One is being the world's best kept secret, just simply doing my job, having my head down, working super hard and just having my numbers speak for me, that wasn't enough. So what could I have done? And what did I do later to help me improve my career trajectory? Well, I sought out mentorship and sponsorship intentionally. There were specific jobs that I had always wanted and I was getting blocked from taking on those roles. And the reason why is particular role I wanted at that time was requiring a master's degree. So I had to decide, did I want to stay in the company, earn a master's degree and, and move my way into that kind of role? Or would I leave and try and find that job somewhere else without a master's? Well, I doubled down on myself. I got a master's. And at the same time, the people who were recommending it were there to sponsor me and slot me in when the opening came up as I graduated. So that's probably one of my best answers. Thank you, Gina. It's interesting because whilst we like to be defiant at defy expectations, we also sometimes struggle to blow our own trumpets a little bit. And we're still learning how to do that and really put ourselves out there because you're right. How can you be so great and yet not tell anybody about it? You can't. And I've worked with so many people in my coaching practice where they've made it to age 50, if you will. 30 years of experience, 25 plus, and they're really frustrated because they're like, look at all the key results I've gotten for my companies. Look at all these amazing things. And women are especially prone to falling into this trap. Not, not always, but that's what I see. And then they feel so frustrated because no one's noticing me. 
I should have been picked for this or that. Well, if you can't articulate what you do well and you're not confident in leaning into that, it's not about bragging. It's just, you got to take up some space. Very true. And there's a few things you've said during the course of this conversation. And, and you've said one word twice that really resonates with me. And that's the word intentional. And it's one of those words that it's very easy to use. It sounds great. It's got a lovely ring about it. Mm-hmm. You used it earlier on in this. I guess you kind of balanced it with this phrase, don't be willy nilly. And what's brilliant, that translates whether, you know, we're speaking in English or American English. And it is, it's absolutely, that really resonated. And and I hope it does beyond this conversation that in addition to not being the best kept secret, you've got to be intentional. You've got to zero in. You've got to turn up your own amplification. You've got to be your own DJ. And I, I just love some of the very, very helpful descriptors you've used as you give your reference points. And particularly around, again, what resonated with this is appearance and the importance of appearance as a leader. And it could be a contentious one because in this world where we're also very, very equal in a world where we are also very diverse, actually appearances do matter incredibly, incredibly strongly and very much. So you know what? It's okay to shout it out and and actually talk about it. So I'm really happy that you brought that out. It resonated with me very significantly. Thanks, Gina. The thing about appearance and the executive presence is it's backed by research. It's social science. So there's there's numbers behind it. There's statistics. There were surveys done. So this is based on, you know, a lot of research that tells us there's these things. And one of the aspects of appearance is actually being tall, which is really confronting for men, I think, in particular, but it's it's like less important than the polished and groomed. So you can't control how tall you are, but you can control if you're polished and groomed and if you're showing up in clothes that are appropriate. And dialing up your personal intentional you know, radar that, that complements that. I've just been to a conference the last few days. I'm based in the Netherlands. I don't think I'm particularly challenged in the height department, but when I go to public spaces and events, absolutely I am. But I walk tall and, and aim to be intentional and will do so even more based on what you've said. But one of the thought came to mind, and it's this idea of appearance and, and certain industries, that dial can be amplified even more. And I think just by putting it out there that it's okay to have conversations about it, whether it be something that matters greatly to that industry, whether it's in a fashion industry or apparel industry, whatever, or whether you're in professional services and you're judged by how you turn out. I just like that descriptor that it's about being put together. So it's not a code. It's not a uniform. It's not necessarily a certain look. Mm. It's that confidence of being put together and, and, and the appropriateness of that. So again, really, thank you very much for that. You are welcome. I recently was asked whether or not I thought it was appropriate for a CEO to show up to a a conversation with a hoodie on. And my answer to that is it's possible that someone in that role is dressing in a way to relate to their people. And that could be completely reading the room appropriately. Now, do I think that same CEO should do an investor roadshow to fund their company in a hoodie? I personally would not advise it, but you could give it a try. I just don't think it's necessarily reading the room, which is a part of executive presence. Am I right or wrong? It's up to other people's interpretation. I'm now slightly grateful. I spent most of my 20s and 30s 
charging around the world in four inch heels because it obviously helped me build that gravitas but it's also incredibly interesting because I used to mentor undergraduates in London and I used to take them to pubs in the city in the evenings and say look at the uniform every single accountant is in a blue suit or the lawyers are in gray suits or the bankers are in black or brown suits look at the uniform you, that's how you need to be and it is it's an incredibly important part of first appearances thank you so much Gina we've focused in on the appearance but there's some other things I love the fact that EQ is more important than IQ we know this we see that in the leaders listening is such a critical one of the colleagues Vicky and I used to work with used to say you've got two ears and one mouth use them in that ratio and I think we don't tend to as leaders we tend to think our job is to stand there and tell mm -hmm. but yeah really interesting thank you very much you're welcome. I loved also I loved it you were talking about attributes in this case we've had last week we were talking a lot about attributes and the importance of really digging in finding them and speaking to them a lot more so that's great you've just given us a nod to do that but I loved also your reference to taking a new direction and again I would use your reference to being intentional if the choice is to go and explore the startup world because don't just jump into that space because you think it sounds interesting so I would really amplify your words around that again about zero in be intentional do your homework so again very useful to be able to to bring that out thank you you are welcome one, one, another thing about the humble, hungry, smart model, the way that we use it is we actually are building a competency-based questions around the skills that a, a client may need and helping them listen for those qualities. So we're not asking candidates, let's say, are you humble? We're asking the kinds of questions that showcase that they have the humility, that showcase that they can read the room and have the EQ with their smarts, if you will. So there's ways that we pick up on these things similar in similar ways that we do with the executive presence, but it's the things that we're listening for versus maybe the things that we're just seeing. Indeed. Yeah. And it's a nice way to really round off that conversation because I think, you know, you've been able to zero in yourself and give us some very insightful responses to these just high level questions we have. And I think what this will bring for many people listening is a lot of inspiration. And if you've been in listening to this podcast, and if anybody would, would like to find out more, then please go back into the notes. And we're going to be doing more of these sessions. We're going to be diving in. And I think, Gina, there's a lot of things I'd like to continue this conversation with because you've just prompted some really good thoughts from your very insightful responses. So thank you for that. You are so welcome. I'd love to come back. Well, if any of you else have been inspired by some of the conversations we've been having today, please visit our website, defyexpectations.co.uk. It's packed with information as well as more details on Gina and our other guests. And we look forward to being with you on our next chat. Mm -hmm.